Season 2, Episode 270 for September 27th, 2023. Tonight we discuss digging up old stone tools, looking at your Zoom backgrounds, Hollywood can use AI and exploit you, living in a lunar tube, replacing the jobs with bots, unleashing crabs to heal a reef, and how genes express you. Meta tries smart glasses again, security cams tracking everything, and Rick Astley settles over his lyrics. Next on Hometown Daily. <laughs> hello, hello, I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com and up there is the AI. That didn't keep me from doing the intro like that. <laughs> That was excellent. I knew exactly which story was prompting that intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, anyway, we've already got all of the articles ready to go. You excited about today's articles? Was there anything in there that you were really wanting to talk about and maybe I didn't do it? Um, Let me see here. Oh, no. Now you're taking too long. There had to have been one... <laughs> Just immediately available, ready to go, and you're no, no, nah, you just can't do it. But that was probably like the one that I absolutely wanted to be in there. So you obviously <laughs> picked that one. <laughs> Pretty cool. All right, so let's just get right into it. Um, I'm gonna try and get everything. You know, we're gonna try and go through this really quick. Um, nobody has said anything about us running long or it being too short or anything like that. So I'm curious out there if you are a fan of the show, if you're interested in the news, uh, does uh, would it be better for us to uh, really kind of stick to that one hour? Um, or is it better for us to just be a little bit more uh, interactive with the chat and, and um, in various other places? Uh, so if you have even gotten this far or if you're jumping around because there are uh, people out there that are jumping around in our video videos um, looking for the articles because the articles are there but um, I don't always timestamp uh, it's just kind of a the the process of doing timestamps and and all of that uh, doesn't allow me to get it out there fast enough so um, let, let's just see what people say so let's get into the news and we start off with 18,000-year-old stone tools. It's over in Hometown Daily. That's where it's housed, but the actual source is Business Insider. 18,000-year-old stone tools are among the oldest found in the U.S., more evidence that humans lived in the Americas during the Ice Age. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is that there was a lot of prehistory development in North America, uh, Central America, um, all the way up into Canada, there was populations and what ended up happening was pretty much every above surface, um, I guess, demonstration that there was already people here was scrubbed. There were apparently over 10,000 pyramidal like structures there's less than a thousand across the u.s now if you can even find them um and this is stuff that you can read about but it's not really in schools and stuff i'm not quite sure if it's and it's all come out after i went to school 
So I don't know if this is all uh, ultimately like conspiratorial stuff, but when archaeologists start finding things, you go, oh, well, maybe there's something totally to it. Totally turns all the info on our, its head, right? <laughs> right. So this here says several stone tools found at Rimrock Draw Rock Shelter in Oregon, including the large orange Ch uh, Chalcedony uh, tool found below ash from Mount St. Helens. Archaeologists found these stone tools humans used to butcher animals in what's now Oregon. The tools were below ancient camel and bison, which is interesting. Camel? Um, right. Yeah, that is strange because did we know that there were any in that region? For there were camel? There were camels in, in the United States? You know, in North America. I, I don't think anybody time. knows that. So that's like a discovery off to the side, isn't it? That's, I had no idea. So the tools were below ancient camel and bison tooth fragments that were over 18,000 years old. It's among the earliest evidence of human occupation in the U.S. Uh, ancient rock hunters used a rock shelter in Oregon desert to butcher animals, bison, uh, mountain sheep, and horses during the Ice Age. Camels. Huh. I had no idea. So let's go over to the source. Uh, Jenny McGrath is the author. Um, I'm actually uh, in the process of expanding uh, discussion. Uh, I think I've mentioned it a couple of times, but I'm I'm expanding a discussion to include archaeological and anthropo anthropology uh, using tech. And uh, because I, I speak about technology primarily, um, and its influence on society and business. And this is going to be interesting. I'm going to have to talk to some people about this because I, I, it's never been mentioned in, in all of my discussions to date that there were camels in North America. Interesting. So they have a picture here of a whole bunch of uh, artifacts. They look everything from arrowheads, which is the typical arrowhead with the two little notches so that something could be used to bind the arrowhead to a shaft of some kind um and as well as knives and axes and um, other what looks like flint like um stones used for cutting things pretty amazing stuff oh, man i just love this stuff in 2012 and Seems 2015 like there's been a ton of these discoveries recently yeah, we're finally digging down more often in various places. Um, and I don't know how far down this was, but you know how sediment is. <laughs> right. I mean, it piles up for feet. <laughs> Blows all over the place. Meters. And... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it only takes a couple hundred years. Uh, the stone tools were below fragments of animal teeth and bone uh, were covered by volcanic ash and the ash landed after Mount St. Helens erupted over 15,000 years ago. So they have a, 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 a carbon date probably from uh, the debris that was in there and it protected it um, so they could do some uh, carbon dating. Ultimately, we think the site was occupied for somewhere around 11,000 years between 7,000 and 18,000 years ago. Patrick O'Grady staff archaeologist with the University of Oregon Museum of Natural and Cultural History told Insider. Pretty amazing stuff here. 
18,250 year old teeth. Hmm. You know, I don't even think we want to be near anything, <laughs> even a thousand year old teeth. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that's where it was, huh? It's just this outcropping and at the right time of day, there's a shadow. So it's a really high quality uh, tool stone, chancelodony. Chalcedony. Chalce There's no N in there. Chalcedony. Uh, a type of quartz. It's a really high quality stone tool. Right away, O'Grady and his colleagues were surprised to find that type of stone. It didn't look familiar to anybody. Um, he said they determined the stone's place of origin was at least 50 to 75 miles away. Yeah. What else do you do with your entire existence except walk around and check things out looking for a safe place to hide away from animals that want to predate on you? So they found a bunch of them. Pretty amazing. Bison blood and camel teeth. I've never. Uh oh. Even... Here we go. DNA. Yeah. See, but that it can't possibly exist. I mean, 18,000 years old. Uh, the researchers tested the multi tool and found bison blood on it. Newer researcher, uh, newer tools researchers found at the site contained remnants of mountain sheep and horse blood. The tool and many camel and bison teeth fragments suggested that people used the site as a place to butcher animals instead of it as a full-time residence. So they went there to butcher animals and then they went somewhere else. And that's pretty spectacular. So it's the oldest evidence of humans in the US. Um, this, um, there had been some talk recently. I thought about the Bering land bridge, not being a legitimate, um, structure, uh, for the transfer of people, but I don't know, maybe that's actually standing true. Well, maybe it's not the first time that people crossed over. Maybe that's the issue. Yeah. Um, it says here, Oregon and surrounding states contain some of the Oldest evidence of the ancient human habitation in the U.S. Cooper's Ferry in Idaho is about 240 miles to the northeast of Rimrock Draw. Its storage pits and evidence of animal consumption date to around 16,000 years ago. Paisley Cave, around 75 miles away from Rimrock, 14,400-year-old preserved human excrement. <sighs> Cave human poo. There's still a lot to learn about how humans arrived and dispersed throughout North America and South America. We just don't have a lot of uh, evidence going back that far in time. Yep, we're gonna have to dig a little deeper. Uh, I mean, it wasn't the concentration of population that existed in Africa, in the Far East, in Europe, um, around the Mediterranean. Um, you know, I guess like North America were the scragglers that just made it across, you know, somehow on a rickety old boat that managed to survive the ocean, maybe. And on top of that, like, how did people get to South America? It's just like people just spontaneously popped up. It's all the over Panama the Canal, right? I yeah, mean, didn't the... they use that to cross? Yeah, there you go. That's right. It wasn't. Okay, as, maybe uh... not. <laughs> It wasn't uh, broken or there wasn't some big ship jammed in it. Let's keep going. Fun article. I like that one. Next article is over in the Mobile channel. 
Your Zoom background might influence the first impression you make. I know that mine does when I have meetings and it's going off like that. I mean, I normally turn it off when I'm doing a business meeting, uh, but then people ask, what, what's going on back there, Marwat? And so I turn it on and they go, you do that for this? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so in a new study, participants tended to judge faces appearing against backgrounds featuring houseplants or bookcases as more trustworthy and competent than the faces with a living space or novelty item, uh, image behind them. Gender and facial expression also appeared to influence judgments. The research led by Patty Ross, Abby or Abby Cook, and Meg Thompson at Dur Durham University, UK, has been published in the Open Access Journal Plos one, P-L-O-S one. Uh, the article is over at fizz.org. Not their journal article, but a written summation of what they found. Um, it was published over there at fizz.org by Public Library of Science. It says prior researchers demonstrated that first impressions can make a real difference in people's lives. For example, uh, they can influence criminal sentencing decisions or choices of romantic partners. How about your criminal sentencing decisions <laughs> of your romantic partners? Um, in recent years, a major increase in video conferencing has resulted in many first impressions of others now occurring virtually. Uh, popular video conferencing platforms let users customize their background image. However, few studies have explored how background choice might influence first impressions. This is the first that I think I've seen. Um, I have read uh, studies about first impressions, uh, particularly in the criminal sector. Y you want to be clean cut, clean shaven, dress professionally as you possibly can. That way the judge you mean like sees... law enforcement? Yes. Oh, like you're a defendant. Yes. Um, that in particular. Now, if you go in looking shabby as an attorney, you're also going to get the My Cousin Vinny treatment. And that too might land you in some hot water because you're supposed to be a representative of the your client. And if you look like a schlep before a judge, you're going to get side-eyed or asked into chambers to be told uh did you just say ute what are you wearing excuse me um what's a grit anyway statistical analysis showed that participants rated faces against the house plant and bookcase backgrounds as being more trustworthy and competent than faces with other backgrounds I'm is that why at... you see so many YouTubers with bookcases in the background with plants? Because that's like a, a thing. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it's a set. Normally, it's a set. And so they want something that is um, either calming or slightly energetic, but not chaotic. Mine is supposed to be representative of uh our environment which is a virtual community of electrons where all of the wires meet um and that is that right there um 
I can actually change that depending on my mood and color and speed and all kinds of stuff. Um, and so what people do for their background set is to make it visually appealing, but not distracting. That way they focus on the person that's talking. Um, some people go to great length to do it and others, well, it's their bedroom and they seem to be able to, uh, muster up so much charismatic, um, first impression that people stick to their video and watch for extended periods of time. Uh, let's keep, let's go over to uh, my chat because I did not throw these articles into the chat and I'm already behind. So, okay, now I'm all caught up. Um, so participants tended to perceive happy faces as more trustworthy and competent than neutral faces. They also perceived female faces as more trustworthy than competent overall. However, among female faces, those with the living space background were perceived as no less trustworthy than those with house plants or bookcase, um, suggesting that the lower trustworthiness associated with the living space background were primarily driven by male faces. So, and I can, tell you that <laughs> I'm pretty sure that people are more trustworthy and well, I mean, they're more accepting m males are more accepting of female faces if they are friendly and that, I mean, they're not snarling or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so smiling, happy, the background doesn't look like, um, I don't know, like a, a prison cell or whatever, you know, really it doesn't, I, I suspect that people just want to see a smiling, happy face, um, particularly in meetings. Um, and, uh, but I also follow the adage, it's better to remain silent and thought a fool than open one's mouth and remove all doubt. And that's usually what happens where people start talking after the meeting, like, Hey, that person there doesn't quite seem to grasp what's going on. So, um, the authors add that the research shows how zoom backgrounds can affect the first impressions we make. If you want to come across as trustworthy and competent, there are some backgrounds you should use and some you should definitely avoid. So I think though that their scope is limited. Ross and colleagues asked 167 adults to view still images that appeared to have been captured during a video conference. Each image showed a face of a woman or a man or a woman, either smiling or with a neutral expression against a background featuring a living space, blurred living space, house plants, a bookcase, a blank wall, or a novelty image of a walrus on an iceberg. <laughs> so the Why a uh, walrus, because <laughs> eh, it's a novelty thing, I suppose. I think that 167 people isn't enough. Uh, so why? Because, and I don't think that a still is good enough to make a judgment call about trustworthiness. First impression in a zoom conference meeting is not a still. And so I, I hesitate to accept this as even the slightest bit based in reality of first impressions. 
Um, I suppose everything is a first impression, a still or a video, but context matters. And uh, I would probably discount this um, quite a bit because there are a lot of very, very successful people whose streaming or meetings are taking place quite literally in a bedroom um, or on a couch or out on the streets somewhere. And that's right. their Holding first Holding their phone in their face or whatever. Yeah. Context matters. And I think charisma is a huge factor in that immediate live living first impression is dramatically different than a video conferencing still in a somewhat controlled environment. So, um, yeah, I mean, I have an adage that there is no way that you can freeze a video without getting a derpy picture. It's impossible. The only time you can is if you warn the person, the only time you can get a charismatic picture is if you warn the person that you're about to stop the video. But if you are naturally just expressing yourself in a video and I pause it at any time during that, you look like a derp. I could do a research paper on this. Let's keep going. By the way, everybody, the AI is confirming what I say, but just isn't saying it audibly. Wait, you can't glean that from just sending a stream? <laughs> no, um, you got to use the visualizer there, AI. Oh, up here? That, oh, I'm not going to do that. Up there? <laughs> yes, there. <laughs> oh, no, this is horrible. Um, so the next article is over in the mobile channel. The Hollywood writer strike is over. Yay, but the actors are not done striking. No. Um, anyway, the Hollywood writer strike is over and yes, studios can use AI. The Writers Guild of America reached a tentative agreement with the production studios on Sunday, bringing the 148 day long film and TV writer strike to an end on Wednesday as members will soon begin to vote on ratification. The summary of the union's new minimum basic agreement or MBA, which is ironic because it's MBAs that are probably screwing over the Writers Guild with the Alliance of the Motion Picture and TV Producers was released late Tuesday night and the strike officially ended at 12.01 a.m. on Wednesday morning. Uh, I, the quote is here, but the full-on statement I think is broken. Uh, we can say with great pride that this deal is exceptional with meaningful gains and protections for writers in every sector of the membership. Awesome. This is over at um, vice.com. Jules Roscoe is the author. The deck statement says the tentative agreement states that studios can present AI generated materials to writers, but will not, it will not affect their pay or credit. All right. I'm really curious about the scope of this. I, I, I can't. Do you I think they're going to ratify? Like part of me thinks they're not going to ratify, but. I, I think the fact that there's a tentative agreement pretty much means that there would be nothing or it's going to be ratified. And I think they, I, I think it's done, right? Um, so there's a link via this article 
um, to the summary of the NBA, which states that uh, writers gain significant ground in the relation to protections from studios, use of artificial intelligence, which was a crucial bargaining point. Initially, the Guild proposed that artificial intelligence couldn't be used to write or rewrite material produced by the writers. The AMPTP had rejected that proposal and countered by offering annual meetings to discuss how we're going to abuse you. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. It says annual meetings to discuss advancements in technology, the union said. Sure, as long as it can also affect the contract overall, that'd be fine. And it should be a little bit more often than once a year. A lot of abuse can take place in a year. The new tentative agreement does not outright prohibit the use of AI in the writer's room, but regulates how AI can be credited or trained. Uh, I've been reading that in other places. Um... I don't know. It says, finally, the summary states the union can assert that exploitation of writers work to train generative AI models is a violation of the agreement or other relevant law. A WGA spokesperson did not immediately respond to the request for comment, asking whether this means all literary material cannot be used to train AI or whether the union simply reserves the right to contest a studio's usage of it. I don't... <laughs> the the whole thing about this um is it's kind of like gatekeeping the the writing so um all of the writing that is uh, assessed by artificial intelligence sorry my monitors are falling out um all of the uh, material that an ai consumes and trains on ultimately is a tool for everybody who wants to utilize AI. Um, anything other than that means that people are being protective as if they have some competitive advantage because they understand they have some pocket of knowledge that nobody else is privy to. And that doesn't really do much except create a very short period of strategic advantage um, because the moment that that strategic advantage gets exploited then everybody knows about it <laughs> and you can't live off of those little snippets of those pockets of knowledge it just won't last so i i love the idea of ai being a tool i don't see how this will work though like, don't you feel like the first project that involves AI, everything is going to come to a standstill? We'll see. I, like, I, I haven't seen anything about the numbers. I haven't seen anything about uh, the compensation when AI is in place. The, it says the agreement also states that companies must disclose if any material they provide to a writer is AI generator, generated. That material cannot be considered assigned material for purposes of determining the writer's compensation or source material for purposes of determining writing credit uh, the agreement states so if if a writer gets material from the studio and it's ai generated the then writer is still be able to be compensated right well no because the compensation is already predetermined it 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 either has to be predetermined or when that material is put in place, if it fills a gap, then it's not going to be able 
to so let's say a, a writer is writing 60 minutes of prose right and they write 20 minutes in the beginning and 20 minutes in the end and the ai writes the 20 minutes in the middle how much compensation are the writers getting an hour or 40 minutes they're not going to get the 20 and i don't even think they're going to get the episode i don't know how this is going to work i just don't quite get it says because AI generated material will not be considered literary material. The AI that produced it can't be given writing credit, which ensures that it cannot undermine a writer's credit or separated rights. The summary states, except that there's going to be content there that could be generated by an AI and people are going to go, who the hell wrote that? (laughs) Exactly. And are they really going to split up an episode? I don't think so. Hmm. I think this is going to be worse than where we started. I'm not, maybe their compensation isn't, but this just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, if they treat it as a tool, then fine. But anything that's created by AI is going to affect the total number of words written by a writing room. So if writers are built off of the time, they're going to lose some time. Hmm. This will be interesting to watch, but it'll be a new year that this thing kicks in. I mean, we're going to see it's going to be like flipping a switch, I think. But I guess we'll have to wait and see, right? Because we don't have any living proof of this yet. Right. All right. Let's keep on going because we're kind of stymied here. Next article is over in the Technology Today channel on ometown.com. Chinese Chinese astronauts may build a base inside a lunar lava tube. That's why this one's titled Living in a Lunar Tube. (laughs) Caves are some of humanity's first shelters. Who knows what our distant ancestors on the moon were thinking when they sought refuge there. Oh, wait, they didn't have the moon part on there. That's, That's not in the article. Um huddling and cooking meat over a fire maybe drawing animals on the walls somebody complaining about joe caves protected our ancient ancestors from the elements and from predators while or and rivals back when sticks stones furs and fire were our only technologies they really worked hard to get that one in there furs and fire Right. I mean, they really wanted some alliteration. Yeah, they did. So uh, Evan Go from uh, Universe Today wrote this article. It's over at fizz.org. Uh, they have a picture of the entrance to a lava tube on Hawaii's Big Island. <clears throat> but they're talking about, in this article, caves on the moon. Uh, so there's a poetic parallel between early humans and us. We're visiting the moon again and lunar caves could shelter us in way caves sheltered our ancestors on earth on the moon astronauts will need protection from different set of hazards they'll have to contend with cosmic and solar radiation meteorites and temperature swings and even impact ejecta the lunar reconnaissance orbiter lro has found hundreds of lunar skylights locations where a lava tubes ceiling has collapsed making a natural opening into the tube 
It's hard to tell without exploring, but lava tubes uh, several hundred meters in diameter could exist on the moon. That's a lot of room to work. That is a specu uh, spectacular high sun view of the Mare Tranquilitatis Tranquilitatis pit crater, revealing boulders. That's kind of fascinating. I'm going to zoom in on this. So that's an actual like punch through the surface of the moon. So is this the outer skin and there's the hollow moon and you can just jump down there and walk around. <laughs> it looks like it. <laughs> I love saying stuff like that. Uh, the hundred meter uh, pit may provide access to a lunar lava tube or to an alien base. That's not what it says in the article, but that's what I'm saying. Anyway, the side that shrouded in darkness sinks as low as 173 degrees Celsius negative or 280 degrees Fahrenheit negative. That wild temperature swing makes it challenging because it can go as high as 127 degrees positive C or 270 degrees Fahrenheit. Yikes. And I thought getting down into the 50s was getting scary. Radiation is also hazardous on the lunar surface. It can be as much as 150 times more powerful than on Earth's surface. That's because the moon doesn't have a real atmosphere um, or a magnetic shield. So this, this is pretty amazing. Different teams of scientists from different countries and agencies have studied the idea of using lava tubes on the moon as shelter at a recent conference in china zheng chongfeng from the shanghai academy of space flight technology presented a study into the underground world of lava tubes chinese researchers did field work in chinese lava tubes to understand because chinese lava tubes are different than than uh, Hawaiian lava tubes. lava tubes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or United States lava tubes. Totally different, right? Anyway, China la Chinese lava tubes to understand how to use them on the moon. Well, you're not going to be able to take Chinese lava tubes to the moon. You have to fly there and then assess them. Oh, those are Chinese lava tubes because of I'm not sure what. See, I'm filtering out a joke or two. Anyway, um, there's a bunch of information about this over at that uh, at the site, fizz.org. China's future plan after successful exploration is a crude base. Uh, not crude as in poor. Uh, crude as in peopled. <laughs> it would yeah, be a that was a weird term to say out loud. <laughs> <laughs> like a crude rocket ship. Oh, I don't, that doesn't really scream success. Anyway, it would be a long-term underground research base in one of the lunar lava tubes with a support center for energy and communication at the tube's entrance. So never mind. <laughs> uh, my brain is just, um, working overtime. China doesn't have the same enthusiasm for information sharing that the organization like NASA has, so details are more difficult to uncover. 
But there's no question that China's space activities are ascendant right now, with multiple successful missions completed, some still in progress, and ones, future ones planned. Well, if they're anything like the ISS, I guess there's going to be some like fungus and mold growing on panels. Oh no. Yeah. You. Okay, let's keep going. Oh, you know what? I'm going to have to do that one over because I did not throw that article into the chat. But there you go. All right. So the next article is over on hometown daily, the job Americans most like to see replaced by robots. Well, let's see. Let's go over to, Oh, I must've scrolled down some turns out robot umpires have one big flaw. They're too perfect. So when I saw this, I kind of asked myself, what is it that people would love to see replaced by a robot? And all of the stuff that I thought of was like jobs like sewer, you know? Oh, right. Like anything that would be featured on dirty jobs or something. Yeah. Or like really dirty jobs. Like if you take the dirtiest of the dirty jobs, that's what somebody would want robot. Uh, a robot replacement for but apparently in this article turns out robot empires have one big flaw they're too perfect okay so i read a little bit about this and uh the same thing uh that the nfl is suffering from the uh, uh um uh, major league baseball mlb um is suffering from now and that's technological innovation and one of the things that always happens is there is an umpire behind the plate that actually calls foul balls and um, strikes and you know, everything else. Um, well, there is a piece of tech that's in place. I think it's called Eagle Eye. There's another thing. The company's called Trackman. Um, let's see if I can find it real quick. Hawkeye. Trackman's in here. Yeah, so in 2020, Major League Baseball abandoned TrackMan and signed a six-year deal with Hawkeye Innovations. Owned by Sony, the UK-based Hawkeye has become the go-to rule monitoring tech across international sports, powering FIFA's goal line reviews, NASCAR's pit road officiating, and more, much more. Um, they're used in tennis, um, which we actually did an article on. Uh, but now it's coming for Major League Baseball. If the company's professional tennis line challenge system had been around in the 1980s, John McEnroe may never have become super brat. If you know nothing about McEnroe, he basically screamed at the line judge, what do you mean it's out? And he just, he was like that, very bombastic. And everybody loves a dumpster fire. So everybody watched gleefully as he ranted and raved. Anyway, since 2021, under Hawkeye's watch, the robo-ump has continued to move through minor league ball, inching closer to the show. So this thing is a series of cameras, high-speed cameras that are monitoring the strike box. So the it's an area that designates if something is in or out, and it does it at such high speed that... Uh, humans throwing the ball are getting precise enough to make it so that the pitch 
perceived by a human might be out, but technically it's in. So it's a strike versus a foul ball. Um, well, this bot removes that doubt. <laughs> uh, like all tech, it's superior to human. The problem is that most tech to be superior to human needs to be built specifically for that task. It becomes a unitasker. So it says here, but replacing imperfect human judges slash punching bags with uh, near perfect machines with proved to be thorny challenge. The subjective uh, has made a nasty habit of uh, sneaking into the frame. And that's before tackling a bigger question. What do we lose by taking human umps out of play? And we remove. Well, we don't get to see the fancy calls, you know, when they go over the top. That's right. Um, Like from uh, what? What was it? What's that called? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? The comedian. Yes, but I. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the show. Uh it's a cop show it's it's like this lampoon cop show and i can't remember the name of it Dang on it i hate when that happens anyway um they say what do we lose by taking human umps out of the play and an even bigger one far less asked when we talk about automation what do we gain as this author interviewed players coaches and members of mlb league office and even a, an employee at hawkeye something surprising kept happening people spoke kindly of home plate umps as automation knocks on big league store, uh, some force nostalgia flaws in the system, our own latent fear of being replaced by AI. Yeah. There are a lot of people that are afraid of AI. Yeah. It's not police Academy. Um, so oh, police squad, it's police squad. Um, so as a young catcher, uh, Pacheco hated umpires as much as the next guy, but he can't help feeling empathy. Now they're under a microscope. So I try not to get on them too much. I don't know who would want to be an umpire nowadays. He says, especially now that the, every fan can umpire from home as they watch the strike zone box on their TV, they got to be perfect. It's true. Um, but people have accepted the umpires modern fans are embracing the technology revealing how bad the umpires are same thing with football you know a first down isn't necessarily a first down but using tech and uh, what amounts to a micro gps system you can see exactly when somebody crosses the line regardless of if it's inside a pocket you can see exactly if somebody's doing first down touchdown out of bounds all kinds of stuff um, using tech, but that's not what people really, really love seeing. They love seeing, you know, hard hits and chaos and, and they like arguing with the umpire. They like the dumpster fire. So in fact, if they had the ability like uh, people do when they're stream watching people stream games and can influence the game, they would pay money to screw up a play. You know, drop a landmine in the field or have somebody come charging out of the stands and tackle the quarterback. (coughs) 
I'm sorry about the coughing. Anyway, this season, the ABS system powered by eight Hawkeye cameras furtively perched like surveillance systems above the stadium second deck is being tested at all AAA parks. Pacheco now serves as hitting coach for the Albuquerque Isotopes, the Colorado Rockies AAA affiliate. It's following me everywhere, he says. Hey, do you notice the, the team name? Doesn't that catch your attention? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So um, they say a couple other things. It turned out that watching America's pastime reduced to math is not a way to pass the time. League-wide stadium attendance dropped 14% from 2007 to 2019. And along with every other sport, say football, TV ratings are way down. Since the early 2000s, the average viewership of the World Series game has halved. By the way, apparently Taylor Swift is positively influencing major, not major league football, but uh, national league football, not major league baseball, but football. They're uh, Taylor Swifties uh, apparently are starting to embrace. Yes, that's quite the buzz. Uh, the NFL. Anyway, um, let's uh, let's keep on going. This article. Um, is now in chat. So if you're interested in that, go check it out. Well, and mm. she single-handedly uh, like upped the ratings <laughs> which yep. again. <laughs> yep. And like I said on uh, Tuesday, um, I was talking with people and they I had dropped um, the name Taylor Swift in, in terms of music and, and business success. And um, <clears throat> they said, uh, and this is a, in a, a, a discussion outside of hometown. <clears throat> they said that they, that Taylor Swift's music sucks. And I said, $1.5 billion says no. Yeah, let's keep going. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I got a cough. Uh, the next article is over in the Marvel channel. Uh, the Hollywood writer strike is over, and yes, studios can use AI. We're just following up with that previous a follow-on article about the previous one. Um, did it duplicate it? Oh, no, the... I think there's a an anomaly in the did election. I glitch? Okay, let's just keep going then. I'll fix it. Um, let me see something real quick. Um, we'll do it live. Do, 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 do. Uh, this is supposed to be the crabs one, right? Correct. Okay. So let's do that. Um, and uh, we'll come back to this. We already featured that one earlier. No, no, no. There's supposed to be a Crabs article. Right. I meant the strike. We already talked about the strike. Yeah. Here, let me see if I can find the Crab article real quick. Do, do, do. We're doing it live, folks. Y'all can just stick around. Where is it? I'll find it. Or not. There it is. Okay. So I'll grab this article and throw it in there. Do, 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 do. There we go. 
Um, blink. So this next article is over in Vox. Um, scientists will unleash an army of crabs to help save Florida's dying reef. I will fix the um, vote as well. So there you go. I updated the vote. So the election over on hometown is now fixed as well. So uh, this article is over in the Mobile Channel. Scientists will unleash an army of crabs to help save Florida's dying reef. The giant pincers and rough spider-like legs. Caribbean king crabs don't look like your typical heroes, yet these crustaceans may be key to solving one of the world's most pressing environmental problems, the decline of coral reefs. So let's go take a look at this. Um, yeah, I'd be crabby too if I was pulled out of the water. Jason Spadaro is in this picture picking up a Caribbean king crab. Looks delicious. I don't know. Um, in recent decades, warming seas, diseases, and other threats have wiped out half of the world's coral. Uh, and 90% of those in Florida. <sighs> Florida coral. In the past summer, the problem accelerated. A devastating heat wave struck the Caribbean, pushing the reef in the Florida Keys. And the largest in the continental U.S., closer to the brink of collapse. The decline of coral reefs is an enormous uh, problem for wildlife and human communities. So, crabs to the rescue. Spadero, a crab enthusiast, a marine ecologist at the Moat Marine Laboratory and Aquarium, is heading up an ambitious plan to breed a quarter of a million Caribbean king crabs each year. It's not about cultivating seafood, though. The crabs are indeed delicious, Spadero said. It's about helping coral reefs survive. The key is in the crab's diet. These critters consume enormous quantities of seaweed, also known as macroalgae. Uh, algae has been choking reefs throughout the world, and especially in Florida, making it hard for them to grow and recover from damaging events like marine heat waves. Right on. So look at that. A natural insecticide or algicide. How come this is the first time we've heard of this? Like, we've heard about so many problems with coral reefs. Now, maybe they have not been related to algae. But, I mean, we've been just hearing so much about the, the danger to the coral reefs. Yeah, what we've heard, though, has been like a spontaneous die-off. But I've never heard of a reference to algae uh, growing on the coral and it dying off. It's always just bleached. So is it the algae that's doing it? Maybe so with the high temperatures or something. Maybe that's an optimal environment for them. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it says that algae takes over a dead colony of Elkhorn coral on a reef in the Florida Keys. So, I mean, if this is, if this is going to remove the algae, what's killing the coral to begin with? Just the heat or is it the algae itself? The article doesn't actually say this, right? Um, as pollution runs into the ocean, algae blooms. Meanwhile, animals that eat the algae have declined precipitously in recent decades. Algae is one of the few winners in the world dominated by humans. It thrives on our waste and as sewage and runoff from farmland, which is rich in nitrogen and phosphorus, nutrients that algae needs to grow. Yeah, it doesn't really say anything about what's killing it off other than high temperatures. But the bleaching and die-off... I, I don't know if anybody knows yet, right? 
Yeah, they're just talking about the crabs in this article now. How many times can you hold up a picture of a crab? Come on. Um, one way to do this is by using puppets. They want to train them by putting these puppets in the tanks while poking at the crabs. The crabs learn to move away from the threat. Several months ago, Moat partnered with a local elementary school and had students craft hands, uh, hand puppets modeled after crab predators that use, uh, to use in fear conditioning. Fortunately, the crabs don't have great vision, so <laughs> you just poke them and they start learning to stay away. I mean, wouldn't this be a good article in and of itself? Yeah. Using puppets to scare lab-grown crabs? I mean, yeah. this is pretty crazy. The crabs sitting there going, I need an adult. <laughs> Stranger danger. Run away. Panic and run. Yeah. Cool. They start out small, get bigger and bigger and bigger, and apparently are delicious. I guess that right there is a snack. Yeah, that Not didn't that. look like a meal, that but that right other there. one looks pretty terrifying. <laughs> that one right there is like one of those little uh, goldfish. Just as crunchy, too, I suppose. I'm going to get in trouble if anybody actually watches this segment. I'll be in trouble. Okay. Let's keep going. The next article is over in uh, the Model Channel. Study clarifies how junk DNA influences gene expression. I've never liked the phrase junk DNA. For decades, scientists have known that despite its name, junk DNA, in fact, plays a critical role. While the coding genes provide uh, blueprints for building proteins, which direct most of the body's functions, some of the non-coding sections of the genome, including regions previously dismissed as junk, seem to turn up uh, or down the expression of those genes. Well, what time is it? 8.55 is when the no shit news fires off. We have the DNA in our DNA. Why would it be junk? Why would any at all, any segment of it be junk? Jennifer Welsh, Stanford University Medical Center, put this article together. It's over at phys.org. Um, it says here, but it's been unclear how certain non-coding regions influence gene expression levels. That is the number of times a gene is copied into RNA and used to make proteins. Now a new study by Polly Fordyce, PhD, associate professor of bioengineering and of genetics, um, and her colleagues has unraveled some of the mystery. Their discovery may help researchers understand complex genetic conditions, including autism, schizophrenia, cancer, and Crohn's disease. Quote, we've known for a while that short tandem repeats or STRs aren't junk because their presence or absence correlates with changes in gene expression, Fordyce says, but we haven't known how they exert these effects. Authors of the study published September 22nd in Science believe it's the first to offer a roadmap to understanding how STR changes can it impact gene expression? So they make up 5% of the genome. Um, for the study, the researchers looked at SDRs interact with proteins called transcription factors. Um, they've spent a lot of time characterizing these transcription factors and figuring out which sequence called motifs uh, they like to bind to the most. Um, so to better understand the role of short tandem repeats in gene expression, the researchers stripped the mechanisms down to their basics, transcription factors, and naked DNA. 
put some clothing on that DNA. They use specialized assays designed by the Fordyce lab to run thousands of tiny experiments side by side, saving time and money. It's basically the, the, what is it? Um, the Punnett square, the, the little using. You mean it in genetics? Yeah. Yeah. The peas, but they're doing it thousands Mendel's of times. Mendel's peas. Yeah. I'm sorry. Mendel's Mendel. peas. Yeah. Mendel's peas. So it's Fordyce's uh, tiny experiments side by side, saving time and money. The experiments compared to how tightly transcription factors attached to thousands of DNA sequences, those that preferred motif, those without one, and those surrounded by random sequences or by wide variety of STRs. In the experiment, we asked, how do these changes impact the strength of transcription factor binding? And we saw a surprisingly large effect varying the STR sequence around a motif can have up to a 70 fold impact on the binding. So I guess not so junk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so now I suppose if they find a supremely positive motif, they can put the str around that motif so that the most positive result comes out as the gene is expressed this is how you make superheroes or supervillains yeah i was gonna say this could go downhill quickly <laughs> um or um for arms and i can do twice as much work for our artificial intelligence overlords through the years, genome-wide uh, association studies have linked changes in STRs to various diseases, but it wasn't clear what to do with that information, Horton said. Our models can suggest experiments to understand how those short tandem repeats affect progression or risk of the disease. So, good on them. This is fundamental science, folks. This is what taxpayer dollars leads to. So, don't be shy. <clears throat> you know, and it isn't everyday Joes that are complaining about funding stuff like this. Anyway, I don't think everyday Joes know what this is. I mean, yeah, this is or just care. But everybody should, because this can change the direction of humanity. If they find the if they find an STR that amplifies, um, uh, apoptosis in cancer cells, then all they have to do, all we have to do is create an injection that causes the expression to be changed. You do some genetic modification and then all of these cancer cells basically just, you know, jump off a cliff essentially. Um, and while it's not as easy as what I'm saying, it can be, um, if the right mechanical process gets developed. This is just the beginning. So pretty neat stuff. Let's keep going. Unless you want to say something else. I don't have anything okay. else. Okay. Whoop. This next article is over on hometown daily. Meta smart glasses can take calls, play music and live stream from your face. Meta smart glasses are not called stories anymore. They're just called smart glasses. Now, technically the new model meta, just announced is called Ray-Ban Meta Smart Glasses. 
and the company will happily correct you anytime you call them something else, but they are simply smart glasses. No ifs and or weird names about it. So apparently, this is over at The Verge, by the way. Uh, David Pierce is the author. The deck statement says Meta and Ray-Ban are still trying to figure out what tech people might want to wear. Uh, sorry, might want in their glasses. Their bet this time, audio for most people, cameras for creators. No. <laughs> I, I think what most people want is information. They want uh, what amounts to be able to look through their glasses and get pertinent information in a timely manner and not necessarily be mass surveillance and monitoring through my glasses. And they don't want Google glasses. They want something that's stylish, just like this. This would be great if it wasn't tied to meta. I hate the idea of it being tied to meta. Um, but what I want is augmented reality so when i'm walking down the street people in shops can have beacons that broadcast out messages that say here's our menu and i can just stop and look at a menu um hey uh maybe even tie it to my phone so that if i'm walking down the street and my phone is working with a beacon it can my phone can tell a shop who i am and the shop can say hey You've told us what your favorite uh, clothing is or food is or music is or videos are or whatever. And here is a selection and I can just stop and go in there. I also want directions. I also want people. I want to be able to uh, pull up a person who uh, I trust and trust me and we can share information. This is their birthday. This is uh, kids' names. This is uh, where they live, all of this stuff. So if I go into a shop and I run into them, I know, you know, their name. I know some pertinent information. If they're a family member, then I can be told, hey, their birthday is right around the corner and we have gifts. Go on in, that kind of stuff. That I'm cool with. Then it gets creepy because somebody will hack it. It'll do facial tracking. People will wear it in bathrooms and in gyms and just be all kinds of, you know, little creepy human beings. Anyway, um, this article is uh, in chat. You know what? I don't think I threw this in there. I, I jumped through a bunch of these articles and I don't think that I threw um, this article in there. I'm just horrible at doing this job again. Um, so what do you think? Do you think that if you were a human being, if you get your Terminator body, will you put on Ray-Ban glasses that are tied to Meta and have the potential to be recording? I don't like the well i don't like outside of the glasses the recording i think that's kind of a problem but as the wearer i don't want a phone call coming into my head basically <laughs> <laughs> um and then what was the other thing that it did um music right i don't want music uh, like at my eyeballs i mean i just i don't understand that why that's a benefit 
Gotcha. Yeah, I, well, people like wearing headphones, so they like their music through that. If they're wearing glasses, the, the convergence thing is what really bothers me because maybe I want better sounding audio through my in-ear monitors. These are better than any in-ear monitor. Sorry, I'm grabbing my cord. These are better in-ear monitors than anything on those rebands. I guarantee it. Um, and and that's what I would rather plug into my phone. Unfortunately, these are actually wired from end to end. No Bluetooth. So um, I won't be wearing these with any phone. But I'm not going to be plugging them into my sunglasses either. Um, but I also don't want to receive phone calls in my glasses because I swap out my phone regularly. I don't. Um, and I may have to get new glasses, which means that I'm going to have to pay a premium so that Ray-Ban puts my lenses in those old glasses. And by the way, I've had, uh, since having to wear glasses, I've had to replace the entire design because they won't produce my lens without it being a thousand dollars to produce the lens uh, you're out of your mind um well when it's all converged like that when one part fails i lose my eyes right or i can't use my cell phone anymore or receive a call so that means i have to dot 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 you know it's just too much but it says that the new glasses, which Meta just announced at a Connect launch event uh, and are up for pre-order now and will be on sale October 17th, starting at $300. It says it has two primary purposes. The first is to replace your headphones. The smart glasses have a similar audio pro, um, system like Amazon's Echo Frames and the Bose Tempo series, all of which play music but endeavor to make sure only you hear it which is just all kinds of goofy if everybody can hear it, um, at least for me, but <laughs> I'm not a sociopath. I don't want, I, I don't want to bother with, I don't want to bother other people with my music and I'm conscientious enough that, uh, if in my, if I'm in my car, then I don't really think that it's a big deal because we're all driving at 65 miles an hour. And if you hear my music, you're probably in my car, um, or we've had a wreck. And you're in my car. <laughs> anyway, um, so music, I want it compartmentalized. You know, I want closed bag headphones and blah, blah, blah. Um, with the new generation of glasses, Meta also upgraded the microphone system in a big way. The specs have five mics, including one in the nose bridge, which could make your calls and voice commands uh, much clearer. The stories only had one mic and it kind of fell apart in loud or windy conditions. There's too much there for some creepy system operator to activate my microphones. I, I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware of security issues to the point where I'm ready to put uh, computers in Faraday bags. Um, because it's just too creepy. Um, anyway, the smart glasses, uh, the other job of the glasses is as a camera. The smart glasses have small camera lenses on each, it says each right temple. How many right temples does everybody have? <laughs> um, so, sorry, one second. 
Um, you can store roughly 500 photos and 130 second videos before you fill up the 32 gigs of inter internal storage. And then everything, everything sinks through the meta view app, which means that it's on somebody else's device. Um, so anyway, the app also lets you quickly share anything you capture in, uh, to Meta's many, many sharing platforms. So no, thanks. Um, I, I dig Ray-Ban, but I don't like this level of convergence. Well, and I'm not, well, we've talked about this with other companies. Like if you're going to give your data over to somebody, you want to give it to somebody that has a good track record of that. And yep. That's all I'm saying. Yep. Yeah, I, but I'm I'm biased, I'm, uh, and I make my bias known. I don't like anything having to do with Facebook, and Meta is Facebook. So let's keep going. Two more articles, everybody. Um, this one's in the Smack Talk channel. I, I've never known how to s pronounce this. I think it's Ufi. Um, I think security. it's got to be Ufi. Ufi, maybe it's Ufi. Like uh, Sci-Fi spells it S-Y-F-Y. This is Ufi. Sure, I'll accept that. The, the sentient AI says this is Ufi, and I, I trust the sentient AI. <laughs> so Ufi that was security. Just a wild guess. <laughs> I'm sure it's accurate. Ufi security cameras can track individuals across cameras, send you one video alert. I hope they fix their previous security issues, considering security researchers have called into question UFI security. UFI security cameras are getting an update that allows them to track a visitor across multiple cameras and send you a single video alert, which follows the visitor between views. It's a pretty neat idea. Um, the demo video shows a delivery driver dropping off a package and one view shows them placing the package in a yard combined with a view from a second camera, which shows the driver getting back into their van at the front of the home. Pretty neat idea. Pretty simple. But with the UFI history, I worry. So I really just want to wait until some security researcher parses enough packets to show that they are actually secure and not storing video on their servers where it's publicly accessible if you can decrypt the uh, rather apparently poor obfuscation technique Obf security through obfuscation is fail it is going to fail um, it needs to be uh, encrypted and only accessible by the designated party. But apparently a researcher was able to demonstrate that they could circumvent it. So, um, you know, this technology sounds like, um, it belongs in some sort of, not really sci-fi, but some maybe dystopian movie. And it's just interesting that this will now be accessible to households. Well, every police investigation drama, particularly the ones in the UK, um, show how they track a person all around town and stitch the videos together when they're going to give a demo of just how, well, we tracked them to this here and here they are here and here they are here. This just combines it into one contiguous video as a demonstration. Um, 
it, it really does um what is it the it was the guy who was the spy he was shot he falls into the water and he comes out can't remember who he is um oh born identity trilogy born identity. yeah so born identity the trilogy um they have this like keyhole technology where it basically allows them to surveil anybody contiguously that's kind of what this is you know it, within the sphere of camera influence they can just track the person across the spectrum of cameras and then stitch it together it's not that dramatic of uh of technology when you say it out loud it's not that big of a deal but implementing it is a logistical headache <clears throat> so um a couple of important uh points to note which this article brings up at the very end one only the eufy cam 2 lineup is HomeKit compatible and two anchors eufy security cameras were the ones caught sending footage to the cloud even while claiming it only stored it locally and the company later acknowledged the breach of privacy but left a number of questions unanswered so here we are i really don't like that they're tied to anchor because i love anchor equipment eufy is a separate company but it's owned by anchor so well we were just featuring a new product from anchor yeah in another episode yeah i don't think their batteries are going to be surveilling us though offloading our hey. voltage to some <laughs> cloud repo and and telling everybody that we charge our devices i think it's okay all right folks the uh, last article and the one that brought us all together since masher trash rick astley settles vocal impersonation lawsuit against young gravy <laughs> the never gonna give you up singer filed a complaint over the rappers betty get money um so this article madison bloom is the author pitchfork is the source pitchfork.com and uh <clears throat> I've listened to other Young Gravy stuff uh, today since this article came out. And um, I I dig the rhythm, the bass. There's, it is um, cool to listen to, right? But I don't see anything, like all of the audio tracks remind me of somebody else's audio tracks. So I'm sure he's a legit rapper and and people dig him but uh, the music reminds me every single track that i've heard so far reminds me of somebody else's music um and this landed him in court so earlier this year singer rick astley filed a lawsuit against young gravy over the rapper's 2022 single betty get money um which interpolates astley's 1987 hit never gonna give you up uh, Astley's complaint alleged that Gravy impersonated his voice without legal authorization. Astley has now settled the lawsuit against the rapper. Um, says Deadline and new, uh, MyNewsLA.com. When reached by Pitchfork, representatives of uh, Young Gravy offered no comment. Pitchfork has also emailed Astley's representative and attorney for comment. Um, Basically, they say underlying musical composition. They didn't have the rights to use Astley's voice. But the rhythm, everything in this song basically is um, never going to give you up. 
it's just different, you know, but it has that same rhythm. Um, uh, I've only heard it a couple of times. And so maybe the bass line overpowered Astley's voice and it's actually in that song. Uh, but I'll ha- after this, I'll listen to it again. Um, it says Gravy and producer Popnik worked in the studio to closely mimic Astley's vocals on Never Gonna Give You Up, uh, which Astley's team referred to as unauthorized intentional theft of his voice for commercial purposes. Astley sued the rapper and his collaborators for violating his right of publicity, false endorsement, unfair competition, and more. But they don't say what the compensation was or what actually ended up happening um bush notably represented marvin gaye's family during a pivotal copyright infringement case against robin thick uh, pharrell williams and ti over the song blurred lines the jury awarded the gay family 7.4 million dollars at the end of the dispute in 2015 we featured so, that in hometown yeah we talked about that um pretty neat stuff uh again I am more interested in uh, good music than the artists themselves. We had a conversation uh, on Tuesday about that in particular um, because people think that music isn't really going to be impacted by artificial intelligence and technology. And I say there are a lot of people that say that, but I think people will value living artists uh and the the public ones like taylor swift right they'll value them but if you like the gorillas and all of the music that they create at some point you go looking under the layers of the onion and you find out that it's just two brothers who go out and find additional artists to make music for their albums and they're not on the stage they're not hyping up the individual they're only hyping up the band the gorillas but the 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 various facets of the gorillas change depending on which members of uh, the musical construction are going to be together to play the music and it's all about these two brothers who said they wanted to create a virtual band oddly enough right about the same time i was talking about doing that (laughs) so uh, it's people are interested in good music, not necessarily the artist. They may never see the artist. They may never meet the artist. Um, how many people, you know, are really interested in opera and actually have seen Pavarotti, have gone to where Pavarotti is playing, but they still enjoy the music. And if I never saw uh, a singer, and the only representation that I had was whatever was streamed and it was a hologram like Hatsune Miku. Um, does it matter? Does it really matter if I enjoy the music? Does it matter what the physical representation is? Right? Probably not. Well, it shouldn't, right? Because the appearance of a person shouldn't make a difference, you know? The content of their character should if they're a complete tool in the real world but their online and musical uh appearance is stellar but they're a complete tool in the real world you would probably not want to know that 
your hero sucks as a human being. So it's better to just embrace their virtual musical stage persona and be happy. I thought this article, though, was interesting because so many of the music lawsuits are about the the beats. Um, and this one was not, and it, it stood out in that regard. But it also reminded me, of course, of that one where we had the impersonation of what was it a drake in the weekend collaboration yeah, yeah the ai version. um so yeah. it, that was also interesting because this one was an actual person and it was kind of the same issue yeah you'll have to listen to the music afterward and i'm sure that this will come up um tomorrow sometime as well and maybe we can talk about it again uh, but if you listen to the song you're going to go, well, this is like end to end, never going to give you up. It just happens to have a couple of different lyrics and some other things in play. Um, so it, it's a, it's actually, I mean, I like the, I like the music, uh, because of the rhythm. Um, but beyond that, it just reminds me every song I heard was sounded like somebody else's song. It was weird. Um, but I only listened to about five songs. So, all right, folks. That is it for Hometown Daily. We're going to drag you all the way back to the beginning, to Main Street, mash the welcome sign, and watch everything refresh. Now we got a whole bunch of uh, new articles. It says, uh, apparently 15 seconds ago, there was an article posted uh, that says, Facebook down? Seven ways to troubleshoot if the app is not working on your device. I guess that's One stumbled. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Once dubbed a zombie index, this Asian stock market is trying European-style trading to reinvent itself. Oh, boy. I didn't know you could have zombie indices. Yeah. Uh, It just means that it's just going. uh, It's not really doing anything. UBS downgrades stock of a company with 400,000 workers thanks to significant uncertainty from AI. That right there just crushed some company. Uh, maybe we can talk about it tomorrow. We'll see. So Hollywood writers are eager to get back to work. There's a follow on article, uh, but what about the actors? You know, you can't write for an actor that's on strike. (laughs) Well, that is true. (laughs) Yeah, this is, this is going to get interesting. There's some noise coming around about Apple, by the way, in the, in uh, Europe, because they capitulated, they bent the knee to the EU to, and put USB-C in place. And I believe that the EU now says, oh, there's blood in the water. Let's force them to open up their uh, app store to third parties. Like their app store is open to third parties, but they want the hardware open to third-party app stores now and i i would never trust a third-party app store you know back in in the early days of uh android sure you could sideload a project jailbreak and stuff like that um but you were asking for trouble and even to this very day you're asking for trouble so uh just save yourself a whole lot of heartache everybody and don't bother with third-party stores 
get legit stuff that's been audited by a security team, even in a minuscule level, some security is better than none. And when you go to a third party, you have no idea what you're getting. Zero. It makes it cost effective because there's zero oversight. <laughs> anyway, that's it for today. Um, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI that's going to say bye. And probably a few other things. Bye. Good night, hometown citizens. Oh. We'll see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Let me just slip that one in there. See you, everybody. Thank you.